This episode is brought to you by Meerkat Village. Being a special needs parent often requires a superhuman ability to manage a ton of different things all at once. Between work, school, doctor's appointments, therapies, our own self-care, and anything else life can throw at us, it can be tough to manage all this stuff. And don't even get me started on trying to keep everyone communicating with each other because that seems to be impossible sometimes. But Meerkat Village can help. They say it takes a village, and this is especially true for special needs families. Meerkat Village is a platform for Android and iOS that helps to keep everyone in your village communicating and coordinating their efforts to support your child. Whether you're tracking a child's progress at school or brainstorming new strategies to help with behavioral concerns, Meerkat Village helps everyone stay connected and on the same page. It's all done inside one easy-to-use HIPAA and FERPA-compliant app. For more information, visit meerkatvillage.com. That's M-E-E-R-K-A-T-V-I-L-L-A-G-E.com. Welcome to the Autism Dad Podcast. I'm Rob Gorski. As a single dad to three amazing autistic kids, I've been the go-to resource for parents across the globe navigating neurodivergence since 2010. Building on the success of my award-winning blog, The Autism Dad, this podcast provides parents raising autistic or neurodivergent kids with comfort, community, resources, and validation. You'll also hear inspiring stories from parents just like you, reminding you that you're not alone. So don't miss out. New episodes drop every Monday and Wednesday. Subscribe on your favorite podcast listening app and visit theautismdad.com for more information. On this week's episode of the Autism Dead podcast, we are going to learn about non-speaking autism. We're going to answer a couple of questions. One, uh, what causes this? Like, why are some people either limited in speech or unable to speak altogether? And the answer to that might surprise you, and it has nothing to do with choice. We're also going to talk about different methods of communication, because there's more ways to communicate with the world around you than just speech. We tend to focus on speech, and that's not always the right thing to do. Um, my guest today is Samantha Fox. She's a speech and language pathologist here in Northeast Ohio, uh, local to me, and she specializes in working with non-speaking autistic people. Her goal is to help them communicate. That doesn't always mean speech. Sometimes it means alternative methods of communication. And one of those methods is called spell to communicate, which is something she specializes in. So thank you all so much for taking the time to tune in. I really appreciate it. And I hope you enjoy the interview. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to come back on the show today, because we did this previously, and uh, I had some issues with the audio on my end when I was going through it. So you were kind enough to come back and have a conversation. And I feel like it actually kind of worked out because I'm a little better prepared, I think, because I didn't know anything about some of the stuff that we had talked about. And I, uh, I want to make sure that we focus on some of that because I've been getting a lot of questions now that, now that we talked about it the last yeah. time I'm hearing it from other people now. And so it's okay. like, Oh, I know what that is. That's so great. It's, yeah, it I'm works. Happy to be back with you. Thank you for having me again. <laughs> well, thank you for being here. Could you, could you take a second, kind of introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about who you are and, and what you do? And then let's get into some of the, um, the, the kind of like causes for, for kids to maybe struggle with speech. Sure. Yeah. So my name is Samantha Fox. I'm a speech and language pathologist, and I'm also a spelling to communicate practitioner. And I own Beyond Speech Therapy Center in Monroe Falls, Ohio. Um, so that's a little bit about what I do. I really specialize in working with non-speaking and minimally speaking autistics um, with an emphasis on apraxia. Okay. Do you, so one of the things that we touched on last time that I just, I feel like I wasn't prepared to to talk about then mm -hmm. was the, the spelling to communicate. 
Yeah. Because I didn't, I, I had no idea really what that was until we started talking about it. And, and since then I've had so many parents come to me and be like, Hey, you know, we're starting this. What do you think? And I'm like, Oh, well now I know what it is. So, you know, I can share what, what I learned talking to you, but could you talk a little bit about like what that is and, and why yeah. that is so effective? Yeah. So, um, like I said, I've always been interested in working with autistics, especially those that have difficulty with communication. And I, uh, for a few years, I was doing the traditional therapy methods. I was coming from a developmental social standpoint. I thought, oh, if we can build the connection, which is still very important. Um, but what I found is that I was doing years of therapy, right? And my my students or my patients were making very little progress. And so I, I started to think there has to be something else here that is missing um, just mm -hmm. because there was progress, but it was minimal. Um, so I started looking into other options for alternative communication, different perspectives. Um, and I am lucky enough to know a family who uh, their son has been spelling for about eight years now to communicate. He is completely non-speaking. I volunteered with him in undergrad and he was not spelling then. Um, but as I, as I graduated and I started to practice and I kept hitting this wall, his mom and I stayed very connected. And so I reached out to her and I said, do you have any input on this? Because a lot of the, the kiddos that I were, was seeing at the time reminded me of her son. And she said, I really think you should look into spelling to communicate. And uh, so I started Googling it um, and looking into it. And I saw both sides of things. I saw very positive things about it. And I also saw um, very negative things about it. So I really just... I was, I was very, very hesitant to move forward with it when I started to do the training. Um, but at the end of the day, I said, you know, I'm going to take the training. I'm going to decide whether I think this is something legitimate that's going to help people or not. And uh, everything I learned in the training um, made so much more sense than most things that I learned in graduate school um, as it pertains to non-speaking and minimally speaking autistics. And so Basically, in a nutshell, what spelling to communicate is, is when individuals are unable to use their speech to communicate, that is not in and of itself a sign of a cognitive or an intellectual disability. What that is, is a sign of a motor uh, difficulty. And so spelling to communicate, uh, what it looks like is you watch individuals who are either pointing to letters on an alphabet board. Um, it can look like typing on a keyboard eventually. It can um, be a stencil of 26 letters and they poke a pencil through the stencil. So those are all part of the hierarchy of, of spelling to communicate, but they're touching letters to express their thoughts. Um, and so it follows a very uh, structured hierarchy for that. We don't just start by like giving them 26 letters and saying, hey, what do you think about X, Y, Z? Um, and there are a lot of reasons for that that I won't go into in detail, but um, it follows that hierarchy with the end goal being, I can put the letter board in front of them or have the letter board placed and ask them, what's your opinion on 
this, you know, what did you think about the movie yesterday? Um, if you had a pet flamingo, what would you name it? I mean, it goes from serious to, you know, those things where, you know, a lot of parents say too, I just want to know what they want to have for dinner. I want to know what they want for their birthday or Christmas, you know, and that sort mm -hmm. of thing too. So um, it's a, a, a wide range of, you know, oh, communication is open at that point once they achieve that. When we last spoke, you had like feedback from some of the people that you work with who found ways to communicate. Can you, are you able to share any, any of that? Yes, I have some quotes here. So um, one of my, my spellers, his name is Caden. He's 17. He has been spelling for about eight years now. So it's been a while, but um, he recently, we asked um, him, how is your life better now that you have more control over it? And he spelled, my life hasn't been easy, but being able to use my uncooperative body to spell has given me more hope than I can express, um, was one of my uh, quotes from him. And he did, um, you know, the, the reason I started spelling, I remember this quote by heart, of course, or, or why I started the training is because when I was skeptical of whether I was, you know, should I do it? I don't know if I should go against the grain, um, which I was. Uh, he spelled to me, use your awesome, powerful heart to love the strange and fabulous people like me. And, uh, you oh, know, of wow. course, then I had to I had to take the training, of course. And, you know, this is a guy, again, you see him from the outside, the, the, the outsides, they don't match the insides. He, I know the judgments that people place on him by just looking at what his body is doing. His body is so out of control that he calls it Gus. So his name is Caden, but he calls his body Gus. Two totally separate entities for him. So, so he's like, almost like he's sharing the same body with someone who's working against him. Exactly. He wants to wow. spell and, and Gus, Gus will push the letter board away. He will say, I'm sorry, Gus is, is being uncooperative today and et cetera. So I think that wow. also helps parents is think about your child's mind versus their body as two separate things. And if you want to call your body, your child's body, Gus, um, I think even calling it a different name really does help to, uh, to separate. And then they can name their body later on once they get open. <laughs> Yeah, that's and that that's and that's context and perspective, and that can just help you. It's it's sort of like with meltdowns, right? Like if you understand that a meltdown is not about like an actual meltdown is not about, uh, it's not a disciplinary thing, right? It's it's a it's an acute sign of of extreme distress, and when you when you recognize it for what it actually is, then it's easier to be more empathetic and have more patience and have compassion and handle it in a way that's actually productive versus trying to handle it as something that maybe it looks like on the surface, but, but it's just going to be counterproductive. Um, thank you. Thank you. I, th that was so cool. The other thing that I wanted to touch on just because well, we've talked about this before since then I had recorded a podcast episode with my youngest. And I think we kind of talked a little bit about that uh, since the last recording, but, um, we were just kind of goofing around, just kind of practicing using some new equipment and not intending to have, I was not intending to have this conversation because it never occurred to me to ask him. But when I was kind of getting him to talk about himself a little bit, and we talked about how he was, he was non-speaking until he was about four and a half. And I just happened to ask him, do you remember when you weren't able to speak? And he said, yes. Like he didn't even hesitate to say yes. And I was completely taken aback. I had, it, and then like, why would it not occur to me to ask him that before? And then why would I assume that he didn't remember? 
Like, why would that be my initial thing? And, you know, so he started talking about this and, you know, he, he would explain that when he was in his head, he felt like he was talking to people. Like he was hearing the words in his head and he knew the right words to use, but nothing would come out of his mouth. And he described it as like, there was like a wall that he just couldn't seem to get past. And, and I wanted to ask you, like, does that resonate with you? Is that, is that sort of a, a, a common thing that, that people are able to express when they learn to communicate? That couldn't resonate more. Um, and as I was listening to that podcast with you and your son, I was like screaming like, yes, yes, this is exactly um, what uh, non-speaking individuals are spelling once they're able to. A lot of times, you know, some of the the other metaphors, you know, like you know, the wall is a really good one that your son used. Other common ones, like uh, a bird trapped in a cage, like, or they oh. were trapped in their own body, um, is are other ones that we hear very often. So their thoughts are, there are there, they, they have the thoughts, they know what they yeah. want to say. They're hearing everything around them. Um, but they just can't get their, their mouth to say it, but they also, you know, and this is where people get really tripped up. It's full body apraxia. That is the commonality that all of our spellers have. So apraxia, and we'll obviously talk about this more, but simplified is a disconnect between the brain and the body, right? So mm -hmm. individuals who have apraxia of speech, they know exactly what they want to say, but they can't get their mouth to say it. Very similar to what your son described. The individuals who spell to communicate, they have full body apraxia. So not only do they know what they want to say and they can't get it out of their mouth, they know what they want their body to do, but they can't get their body to do it. So when we are asking them to follow okay. directions that are not routine directions that their body hasn't already had this motor plan developed for, they're very likely not going to be able to follow that direction. Um, or you ask them to stop doing something and they don't. And we have a tendency with neurotypicals, right? We think, oh, well, they don't, you know, okay, they don't understand or they're not listening. They're ignoring me. Right. Um, they're just being a kid. They don't want to do what I'm saying. But what a lot of non-speakers, when they're spelling, what they're saying is, you know, I had one that he looked so intentional in the way that his body has impulses. You know, he would pull things off the wall and he would fall to the floor and I'm looking at him and it looks so intentional. But what he spelled after that shortly was, I hardly disobey on purpose. Um, and I have had so many non-speakers where their bodies do something and they are apologizing afterwards. Like, that was not intentional. I was not trying oh. to do that. I, you know, I never, you know, I, I've been doing this for so long. It, it, it's like, you're never done learning, right? Like there, there are so many things that my youngest has, has to all my kids have taught me, but just that conversation with him, you know, he, he, you know, he expressed that he was, he was frustrated because he felt like people weren't listening to him because he, he, um, he truly felt like he was speaking and, and there was just like, nobody was hearing him. And so he mentioned, I think in, in later conversations that he and I have had about being trapped in his body, not being able to uh, tell people what he was thinking or what he wanted or what he needed. And, and I cannot even begin to imagine how frustrating that would have to be or, or how helpless you would have to feel or how trapped. Um, 
And, and to go from a kid who was unable to speak to, to being able to articulate that as well as he did is just mind blowing to me because I, I would, you know, when he was three or four years old, I, we were told this would never happen, you know, that he was never going to, to do anything. And people have been asking me every day. I'm getting messages from people wanting to know what I did to make him talk. And it's like, I, I didn't do anything to make him talk. You can't make somebody talk. But like when I, when I ask him, like what, like at what point was it that you were, were, were able to get the words out, if that makes sense. And he said, it was just one day he said he broke through the wall. That's how he described it. He broke through the wall. And, and, uh, and I, I understand the metaphor for him and that makes perfect sense. But what I'm, what I was trying to help like parents understand is, is that it's, there's something happens, right? It, whether it's that neurological connection, like fires off or they overcome whatever motor obstacle was in, in the way. And I was wondering if you could kind of explain how kids can go from not being able to speak to being able to speak with seemingly like no, like for no reason, if that, if that makes sense. It is it is so intriguing to me. And I do, I hear stories similar um, to, you know, you, you and your son where, oh, they didn't speak until they were four. They didn't speak until they were seven, you know, and, and it is honestly mind blowing um, to, to me as well. I, what I can say is, is whether they end up speaking or not, they're taking in every single thing around mm -hmm. them. And I, I would think that for your son, it was something neurologically just clicked. That disconnect wasn't disconnected anymore. I wish I could explain it um, <laughs> because if we could get all of uh, that to just click, you know, and, and seemingly just you know, pretty quick um, and with no really known cause or, you know, thing that led to it, I would be mm -hmm. um, telling every parent out there what to do. Right. But I will say that, that I think that it's very hard for parents um, to accept that speech may not be the form of communication that is going to be, um, for their child. And yeah. I, I think that yes, it is universal. It's faster. Um, if it clicks, it clicks. And that's an early intervention. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to support that click of what happened with your son. Mm -hmm. Um, I would venture to say that the early intervention did support that in happening, but I also have to say, I see so many that are in early intervention who do not have that click moment where their speech just comes. And so I think that that's where it's really important to talk about not only alternative communication, but that alternative communication is not less 
than speech. Um, and it's yeah. very hard for speakers, uh, including myself, right, to, to wrap our heads around this. It is is not less if your child needs to use um, a device to communicate or pictures, or that's why I like spelling and why I prefer to do that for alternative communication, because 26 letters is infinite possibilities. And they have to learn 26 motor plans. They can say anything they want. The thing that people have difficulty with is, well, my kid doesn't know how to spell. They're not going to be able to do that. They don't have all those words inside. Let me tell you, yes, they do is what I would, I would presume that they do. They've been taking in that information. And if we don't give that leap of faith, you know, in the beginning, you kind of have to, you don't get that validation or that proof right away that they, they are understanding, but I have about 30 families that will stand up right now and tell you that they they have experienced over doing it that yes they maybe they didn't think their child understood anything or knew how to spell when they started but they have learned along the way who they really were taking in everything and they they know how to do it so even if your child doesn't have speech their mm -hmm. communication doesn't have to be limited. Their communication doesn't have to be limited to pictures. If that's what works with them and they can express fully, then that's great. But it doesn't have to be limited. They can't express everything and anything in their head when they are given the right support and the tools to do so. Y yeah. And and it's like presume competence, right? We always presume competence. Yeah. We should always presume competence mm -hmm. because just because someone doesn't communicate with words or speech doesn't mean they're not, like you said, taking everything in, not having, doesn't mean that they don't have opinions or feelings about things or have something to say. They just need to find a way for them to communicate in a way that works for them. Exactly. And I, I think, I think a lot of very well-intentioned parents, and because I, I was the same way. I mean, we were teaching him sign language. We tried uh, you know, visual cards and stuff like yeah. that. And the sign language kind of clicked. He still, mm -hmm. he, he did pretty well with sign language, but like the reason that I, like, I totally buy into this, like one day that neurological connection just hits. Right. And, and if you want proof that you presume competence, when he started talking, he didn't start with like forming single words. It was like, he just started talking yeah. like, like, like he was on mute or something for a long time. And then you just got the volume up and he just, he was having full conversations and I never, I never expected that. And it was like, if he were to be able to do that, I had assumed that it would be a slow kind of grueling process where he would just sort of like learn one word at a time, which would have been amazing. Yeah. But it was like the switch just flipped and yeah. everything that he had in his brain was able to come out of his mouth. and. And I think that sort of that 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 supports that argument that like always presume competence, you know. And, and so I, I guess I wanted to just get your opinion on that since we that has happened since we last talked. I have a question too, you know, maybe to to help people um, in recognizing maybe um, any similarities or differences between their child and your son as well. Did your son seem to have a good understanding of things around him? Like if you asked him to follow uh, directions, I know I'm asking you to pull back from your memory, but um, if you asked him to follow directions and that sort of thing, was his body able to do that? Uh, as good of yes a no. any four-year-old? <laughs> well, yeah, yes and no. And, and the kicker with him was that we also thought he couldn't hear yes. because he wouldn't, he wouldn't respond. 
to his his um his name or anything and you could walk up behind him and try and startle him he wouldn't startle with noise he even failed the hearing screens you know where like they do the more detailed ones where you're like sitting in that sound booth and they're looking for eye movement like where the sound is because it's more of an involuntary thing right he failed every one of them and then it was uh we did the abr at akron children's and they're like yeah he can hear because he his brain is processing the sound and we're like what is like how does that even See, it's, it's hard for people to wrap their head around yeah i think that's more indicative of that full body apraxia which is what i was trying to to get out with that question is because a lot of times one of the first things we see with autism or you know is oh or do they respond to their name right and mm -hmm. and we look at that as like a social awareness or a cognition thing where for you to respond to your name, what do you have to have? Control of your body, because you have to physically turn your body and look at somebody. And so a lot of times oh. we see these guys who are staring at the wall, right? And you're saying their name over and over and they're not responding. They hear you. They can't get their body to turn and look at you. That full oh, body you, disconnects. Yeah. You know what? That actually makes, that makes so much sense looking back on this because I, it, it's bothered me forever. And I, and I asked him about it. I'm like, how, like they, they told us when he passed the ABR, they're like, well, he's just tuning you out. And I'm like, how, like, how can you force yourself not to be startled with something that you don't know is coming? Right. Like how, like how, I don't understand how that, how that works. And I can't understand how, you know, like I can get if he's, if he's tuning you out when it's something he doesn't want to hear or, or sure. do or respond to, but it was anything. Right. So there's no payout for him to ignore us when it's something that would benefit him. Like, hey, do you want candy? You know, and yes. he ignores you. There's 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 no payout for him to. Right. Because, I mean, kids, kids are kids. Right. They can ignore you. They do what they want to do, whatever. But but there's always a there's a payout. Right. There's a reason behind it, even if it doesn't make sense. Yeah. And and with him, there was no there was no payout for him to ignore. Do you want ice cream or do you want candy or do you want to. He go for a walk. Was or do you telling wanna... his body to move, right? He's like, okay, go, go, move, yeah. move. And that initiation too of getting the body to to take that first step, that initiation, that's the hardest part of any motor plan. This episode is brought to you by Kenjo. Kenjo, where every Roblox experience becomes not just a game, but a learning opportunity. Kenjo's mission is to turn every second your child spends on Roblox into a moment of fun and education. Beyond the thrill of the game, Kenjo motivates kids in a number of ways. By seamlessly integrating with their Roblox account, children are naturally driven towards expert-reviewed content, fostering both fun and learning. Every game is meticulously evaluated on a comprehensive 500 plus point scale by a dedicated team of learning experts, educators, software engineers, user experience designers, and even parents. The games that shine in both challenge and educational value earn a flame rating, guiding players towards richer, more meaningful content. And the motivation doesn't stop there. As they play and earn, kids are rewarded with Kenjo points, transforming achievements into real world rewards. Kids love Kenjo for the endless fun, adventures, and rewards. Parents appreciate the insights and clarity Kenjo offers, shedding light on their child's Roblox journey and helping them make informed decisions about what their child plays inside the Roblox world. Kenjo isn't just an app. It's an evolution in the gaming world. It's where playtime meets profound learning. Kenjo Basic is absolutely free. If you're looking for deeper insights and accelerated rewards for the kiddos, check out the Kenjo Plus subscription. So dive into Kenjo where every game is a lesson and every challenge an opportunity. Join the future of gaming by visiting theautismdad.com forward slash Kenjo 
That's theautismdad.com forward slash K-I-N-J-O and use the code theautismdad to save 10% off a Kenjo Plus subscription. So I would, wow. yeah, I would venture to say that he absolutely was trying to respond to that. Maybe with his speech is what he re- remembers, but he was probably trying to re- uh, respond with more than his speech. Turn his body, look at you, nod, do things that would indicate that he did want that. But that full body disconnect, apraxia at its finest. Yeah. Uh, that makes that makes so much sense. Uh, and I, I, well, I really, I mean, I, on a like a personal, like parent level, like I appreciate that because I. I get things stuck in my head and that's been something that's sort of eaten away at me over the years. Like how was it something that like we did wrong or like was, did we not talk to him in the right way? Or like you, you just start, you try to, you try to make sense of something that's very difficult to comprehend. And unless you find that way to communicate, you you may never, never like understand. Right. And, and the reason that we decided to share that recording was because uh, the whole presume competence thing, you know, I, I felt horrible that I would even have to ask him that, like, I would, how would, how did it not even occur to me that he could remember? And, and I think it's because there was no two-way communication. And, and I think we tend to assume that there has to be that in order for there to be memories made. Right. And when you don't know that they're absorbing everything, I think it's just a, it's, it's an unfortunate thing that we do as humans. Right. And, and I wanted to try and point out that just because they can't, you know, speak or they don't appear to respond in, in a way that you're trying to initiate does not mean that they don't hear you or that they don't understand, or they're not trying to respond. And when, when you say things out of anger or frustration, or you talk about them, like they're not there, they, they may still be hearing you and they, they can experience all those same emotions and that frustration. And, you know, we had a lot of aggressive, uh, aggressive behavior with Emmett when he was little. And, you know, we, we, what we learned was that it wasn't aggression for the sake of aggression. It was a form of communication. It was, it was him becoming so frustrated, whether it was us not hearing him or his, maybe his body not responding the way that yes. he wanted it to all the yes. time. And, and so he would lash out, he would go from being like the sweetest kid to lashing out, you know, biting or, or scratching your face or something. And there was never a rhyme or reason to it. It didn't seem like, and you know, 15 years later, hindsight is, you know, 2020. Right. And, and I have a much better understanding of that. And I I just wanted to try and help parents out there to understand that they may hear you like assume that they can hear you assume that they're competent. My number one thing from parents when they, when they call me or they talk to me is, well, I believe that that kiddo can spell, but it's not going to be my, my, my kiddo or my adults, right there. My child is not going to be able to do this. I, I don't think they are. And I really challenge you if you're thinking that, um, to, to take that leap of faith, like what I'm talking about, because 
every single one of my spellers is diagnosed with a severe to profound receptive expressive language disorder. They are diagnosed mm-hmm. with a cognitive disorder, low IQ, you name it. And if you want to call and talk to me, I will talk to you all day about why those tests are uh, not reliable. They require the motor control, which is the exact thing that your child is lacking. Um, but just look past. Um, I know it's hard because probably almost every professional um, in your in your child child's life has up to this point told you they have a severe intellectual disorder. Um, but I, I have found that when you support it from the motor perspective, you see so, so much more clearly, um, what they know and what they're capable of. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. Like, I I think that it's like giving kids, it's like giving kids a test when they're incapable of taking the test and assuming that because yes. they couldn't write the answer or, or speak the answer that they don't have the answer, you know, exactly. and, you know, rather than assume that our kids have that, that deficit, why not assume that the deficit may just be the inability to articulate that or the inability to get out what they're trying to say and that they still understand. Because like I said with Emmett, I mean, we were told that he could not hear, that he would never speak. And then once that, that connection fired in him, whatever happened, uh, showed that he had been absorbing everything all along. And the fact that he still has memories of all those times, I mean, he had, uh, specific memories about when he was in early intervention and, and, weird things like they would hand him a yogurt and he didn't want it. And they just set it down with, you know, for him anyways, because he, he thought he was saying no, he felt like he was saying no and, and that they were just ignoring him. And so he would get upset. That's a very visceral memory, very random one, but it was one that had a very big impact on him. And, uh, you know, so he's, everything's being recorded, right? Like they're, they're, they're remembering these things. And when you can foster that communication, whether it's speech or spelling or whatever, you break through that wall in, in the way that will work for them. Does well, that make I wonder sense? how much it would have meant to him if the, the teacher in that moment would have acknowledged, right. And said, Hey, I know that you hear me. I know you understand. And I know your body isn't listening to what you want it to do, but I'm going to support you. And so even if we're not, you know, actively working on the communication aspect, we can all still acknowledge and presume by telling them, listen, I see your body is lying on the floor. And it's not listening to you right now. Instead of taking the perspective of get up, you need to do this right now. I know a lot of people, including myself, we go into parent mode very, very quickly. Um, yeah. where we're like, you're not listening. You need to do what I what I want you to do. And so, you know, I think just that that again, what you're saying, the presumption of competence, the presumption of intelligence, the presumption that they want to be involved with what's going on. If everybody is sitting at dinner and your child is on the ground hiding under the table, presume that they want to be enjoying the time with the family. Um, Could they want to be hiding under the table? Sure. Uh, But I think that we get a lot further when we make the the least dangerous assumption, which is going to be that they want to learn, they want to participate, they they want to be connected with us. And if their body is showing the exact opposite of that, 
presume that their body is is not listening to what they're saying or or at least at least keep that on the table right because you know one of the things that I've one of the toughest lessons that I've learned as a parent over the last 23 years is that I parented and this is how I describe it I describe it as I parented my kids diagnosis more than I parented them as kids and as they have gotten older and I've learned a lot from parents of neurotypical kids, right? Because my only experience is with neurodivergent kids. Yes, they have a diagnosis. Yes, they have autism or ADHD. And yes, they can make decisions or, or have behaviors that stem from that. But sometimes they do things because they're doing dumb kid stuff. And it can be really hard to parse those things. Yeah. And I think like in my case, I assumed everything was related to autism or ADHD. I gave them, I gave them that, which ended up ultimately being a disservice to them uh, in the long term. And so, you know, my thing now is about finding that balance where we don't just assume that it's bad behavior or that it's okay. And, and trying to find that, that place where it's like, okay, well, is there, is there a benefit to them? for not turning around when I call you, like, what yeah. are they getting out of that? And if there's no payout for them, maybe they're not doing it on purpose. Yeah. Right. I mean, exactly. kids, kids exactly. are, are creatures of habit. I mean, they, they, they oftentimes fall that same pattern. They do things for a reason, you know, and, but and sometimes that reason is just that they have no control. You know, it, there's exactly. no, there's, there's no, like, what is the motivation to just ignore you for no reason? I mean, sometimes kids will do that, but, but sure. if we just get into that mindset where we assume that they're just misbehaving, then, um, we could be missing something bigger than that. Yeah. You know, I, that's, and, yeah, and that, that's a great way to put it. And that's, that's one of the, the, the takeaways that I have from what I went through with, with Emmett. And, and I know there's going to be parents out there who will, you know, maybe not agree with that. And I'm not saying that it's easy and I'm not saying that you have to just give them a pass on everything, but, but just be open to the fact that what they're doing may literally be outside of their control. It may not yes. be what they're trying to yes. do. And if you can imagine being punished for something that you truly have no control over, it has to be awful. It has to be awful. And it's not that you're a bad parent, just so that we're very clear. It's not that anybody that, that is stuck in this is a bad parent. I don't feel like I'm a bad parent. And I did the exact same thing. It's, it's we don't know. We don't know any other way. There is no one out there really who is saying, look, this is a possibility and this is a possibility. And here are some things that you can look for to help you kind of gauge whether this is, you know, them not responding because they can't respond or not responding because they just want to be difficult, right? There, there's yes. a difference. And yes. sometimes they can look similar, but, but if, if we help parents uh, like parse those things, maybe it's not going to be perfect, but you're at least giving your kids the benefit of the doubt. Yes. on occasion. And, and you might find that that sparks something and, and you can bring about really positive change. Cause I think once you recognize that fact, then your whole perspective on behavioral things can, can shift to a different thing. And when we're looking for ways to help our kids, if we know that they're not able to do something because their brain is not communicating properly or whatever the deal is, then you, you have a whole I mean, there's, there's a ton of doors that open up that will help you to help them navigate that. Yes. And then you can remove, you can, you can limit or reduce the meltdowns. You can, uh, the, the outburst, the frustration that everybody's feeling and you can improve everybody's quality of life. And, yes. and again, it's not easy. I'm not 
saying whatever, but I just think that we should be aware of that. Um, would you, do you have any, any advice for parents who are in that position where, where their, their child is, is non-speaking and maybe they're overwhelmed or frustrating. I keep hearing from parents that they feel like they're not doing enough or it gets so emotional because like they blame themselves. Like, yeah. and it's not really about their kids speaking just because they just want that to be. It is like they, they, or they just want that to be. They're worried about life when they're no longer there. Navigating yes. the world when you can't speak. I mean, that's, they're not always thinking that there's more communication options available. They just want their kid to be safe and happy and healthy. And they want to know what they're thinking and feeling. Yes. And how, how would you, how would you approach parents about that? Yeah, that is a, that's a very good question. And those are very valid concerns. I, I would say, um, two things to start. One would be feed the brain, <laughs> feed your child's brain with information with cognitive stimulation, my guess would be that if they are non-speaking or minimally speaking, um, they are probably getting an education that is below what their chronolog chronological age is. And so um, read to them books that are age appropriate. Read them books. Presume that they understand. They do. Um, play podcasts. TED Talks are good. You don't have to make it a big event where you, everybody sits down and watches it. Put it on your phone. Set it on the table. Have that playing. They hear it. They could be looking like they're not even paying attention at all. Listening does not have a look is a big phrase in spelling to communicate. It's very true. Um, so... Um, feed their brain. They, they crave that cognitive stimulation um, because a lot of times they're not getting it because they're so severely underestimated in their intelligence. So um, I, I, would, I would definitely suggest that. And the other thing I would suggest is coach their body. Um, so if your child seems to be very out of control with their body, that may look like they're not following any directions. They have a lot of impulses. Um, they have a lot of dysregulation. Um, if those things are occurring, I would encourage you instead of just repeating the same thing over and over or, you know, picking them up and moving them to what you want them to do. What I'd encourage you to do is, take a verb and a body part. Okay. So if you want them to go over to the counter, instead of saying, come to the counter, come over here, pointing to it over and over, tell them, move your left foot forward. Remember that initiation piece of the motor planning is the hardest, just getting started. Tell their body what you want their body to do. Move your eyes to the right, reach your arm out, uh, if you want them to drop something, open your fingers is a good one instead of grabbing it out of their hands. Um, and so body coaching, it can be, um, there, there's a lot to it. So I encourage you if there is, a, you know, a, a practitioner in your area who's familiar with spelling to communicate, I would reach out to them um, and, and try to get some tips on body coaching. That's something we do alongside the spelling. Um, and it makes, mm -hmm. it makes a big difference when you start coaching the body. That, I, I like that. I, I think these are, these are practical tips 
that maybe don't apply to every single person out there. Right. But, but when you are, you know, I know, I know what it's like to feel like you don't have a direction to go in or that there's a lack of options. There's always something. Uh, my friend Kate Swenson from Finding Cooper's Voice, and she, she, she has this thing where it's like, try one more thing. Just try one more thing. You know, if you want to take the rest of the day off, great. But tomorrow, try one more thing. And then the next day, try one more thing. And eventually, you're going to find something that works. Maybe this can be your one thing. Yeah. Right? So I, I think that's fantastic advice. And, and we're, we're going to, uh, we're going to take on some of your questions at some point here in the near future. We want to talk about the different types of uh, non-speaking things like apraxia or aphasia, like what the differences are. Cause there's been a lot of that in the news, like with Bruce Willis and uh, things like that. And um, there's a lot of parents who are dealing with apraxia and aphasia with their kids and how do they navigate that? Where do they find hope? And, and I think that it's a, it's a difficult thing for people to kind of wrap their heads around. So I'm going to try and gather up some questions from people and then maybe we can do this again and, and dive into that and try and give people some hope and a direction to, uh, to go in. Yeah, I would love that. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. How can people find you? Uh, so the best way is probably through our website, which is www.beyondspeechtherapycenter.com. There's a contact form there, our phone number. Feel free to give us a call anytime. Um, emails there. And we're also on Facebook, which is a good way to reach out. I will put all of that in the show notes so that people can uh, connect with you. And and we will be in touch. I really, I really appreciate it. And I got to meet you in person the other day. Yes. Uh, yes. That was really, I, I didn't, it didn't click when I saw the list of vendors at the the thing. Yeah. Um, but I was like, oh my God, I know you. Oh, that was great. I know that was, that was so cool. <laughs> yeah. You got to, you got to meet Kelly and Aria. That was a lot of fun. Yes. Um, thank you again. Uh, my best to your family and, and we'll be in touch. Thank you. Before I let you go, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to tune in today. It means a lot to me. I really appreciate it. And, you know, I put a lot of time and energy into each one of these episodes because I want there to be a resource for you that wasn't available for me when I was going through this with my kids. And, you know, I I want there to be a positive impact on your lives. I want you to be able to learn something and enjoy what you're hearing. So, Uh, Thank you again. I really appreciate it. For more information, you can visit theautismdad.com. You can subscribe on any one of your favorite podcast listening apps. And uh, I will talk to you next week. Thank you. Bye.